0: This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey guys, this is Lane with the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast. If you guys haven't yet, please subscribe and review the podcast. We currently have seven reviews. And really trying to get up on that new and noteworthy section on iTunes because once you get on there, your podcast gets a lot more reviews and this uh, show can really start to take off. I think that would be pretty cool. I know you guys hear that over and over again from other podcasts you guys listen to, but please work with me guys here. I'm just one guy doing this podcast in the closet. After I get done with this, I've got to do all the editing myself and then put it up online. It's just me working here and I'm trying to do this in my spare time. As I mentioned in my first or second podcast, I got about 11 rentals now, got them all out of state, never really visited the properties when I picked them up. And I've been typically going through turnkey providers or working with real estate agents. With my experience, investors have been asking me, how do I work with these turnkey providers? So today, I'm going to talk a little bit about this turnkey investing world and my experience. You guys should be listening to other podcasts or reading other blogs and just take my opinion with a grain of salt. There's really two sides of this real estate universe and they're split up in two camps. There's the passive side and then the active side. The turnkey investing is a form of passive investing. The definition of turnkey is pretty loose, but it it's at the very least buying a property from a seller called the turnkey provider, or TKP for short, that's rent-ready. TKP typically does a rehab of the major components such as the roof, the flooring, plumbing, electrical, paint. And they typically are better at using the sturdy tenant grade materials. They got the best practices down, such as not using carpet in the high traffic areas or for most of the house. You know, they don't install things that break like garbage disposals in these homes or dishwashers. And you'll see a lot of this laminate flooring that look great and it's durable. The good thing about working these turnkey providers is that they purchase these materials in bulk. And the theory is that you can partake in a lot of their discounts going with these turnkey companies. And what these TKPs do is they pick up properties from wholesalers or other distress methods like auction, buying, or all the ways under the sun that you can pick up properties. They typically have these people either in-house or they'll just get properties from the local wholesaler. Also, the TKP may also have a property management in-house to manage after the sale of the property. So you can see how the TKP could be making money a multitude of ways. First, the buying, the rehabbing, and then on the back end with the property management. The turnkey provider may fill the property with a tenant prior to closing the sale, but you know, this kind of varies between markets and providers. There's really no set product or set of services that these guys offer. It's always just best to work with each turnkey provider and just be really clear on what the scope of services are and your expectations. I just mentioned that the turnkey provider could fill the property with a tenant. Which sounds cool in the beginning because you're like, wow, they got somebody to be in there for $900 a month. That $900 must be pretty solid. Now I don't have to really stress over, you know, is this the right rent for this property? You know, I got to go on Craigslist or all these different sites to verify it. Although you should be doing that. You got somebody in there for $900 so you feel a little better. There's really nothing that protects you from, you know, really shady things going on, like the turnkey provider making side deals or a warm body in there that the rent is a majority of their income. You know, that just doesn't make sense. But you're kind of stuck with the problem after the fact. I think most experienced turnkey buyers like the fact that, you know, the TKP is one entity and they're vertically integrated. Me personally, I kind of feel like vertically integrated is kind of this new buzzword going around. And, you know, if they do everything, I really can't see how they can be a rock star anyone thing. You know, I'd rather get the best rehabber out there and get the best property management and then get those two teams working for me. Since I'm not at these markets physically, I always like to have as many set of eyes out there and to have all my set of eyes under that one turnkey provider company, it's just a situation where you're going to have a lot of conflicts of interest. You know, if I buy a property that gets rehabbed by the the provider side, and then we go to the management side, and I'm going to ask the management side, you know, hey, we're having a lot of problems here. Is just the rehab just done bad? Of course, with that being under one parent company, they're going to start to cover each other up. And then they'll just blame the tenant so now that you know what turnkey providers are and you're pretty cool with the fact that they pretty much do everything for you, next is, well, where the heck do I find these guys? This is how it goes in every market out there. And there's probably about eight to a dozen of them that you want to be in, you know, such as Birmingham, Memphis, Atlanta, Indy. Uh, another one is Kansas City and Chicago, just to name a few. So in every one of these markets, just say Birmingham, there's typically two TKPs to work with that are pretty good outfits. That third, fourth or fifth TKP that you'll see coming up on bigger pockets or emailing people out of the blue. It just seems like that third person in the game is always being indicted for some kind of FBI thing. And they just kind of screw investors like us who are not flying to the properties and checking these things out. From an outsiders perspective, it gets a little tricky because you don't even know who the good people are. Now, this is probably the hardest part of this whole process, trying to figure out who are the real people to work with and who are the fly by night operators. I've got a series of good ways about going about doing this. You know, you can go on the forums. You can talk to other investors. Really, you just need to find those disinterested parties that aren't getting a commission or aren't the actual turnkey providers themselves. Talking to other investors and just start cross-referencing providers. You know, I've talked to prop- calling the property management in the town and figuring out who are the good property management. And then from there, just saying, well, who are the players out here that are doing these rehabs and doing the good job out there? Because these markets are pretty small and you know the people who are doing good work usually rise up to the top. There are other ninja tactics that I've done in the past such as call schools or holiday in saying that I'm a, uh, you know, coming in for the weekend and looking for a home. I don't typically recommend doing that stuff like that cuz it's kind of lying, but I'm just giving you some examples of some ideas and you know, be creative yourself. Try and do whatever you can from abroad to vet these people. So out of this pain point of figuring out who are the good people to work with, A middleman layer called the marketer group has arisen so these are the guys who do not live in the local markets typically in california just because that's where all the money is they do a good job at finding who the good sellers are the problem is that these guys aren't working for free and they are marking up the properties whether you know it or not you can find these marketers on meetups podcasts webinars they troll the bigger pockets form Overall, this system works pretty well. The turnkey provider, who's typically a small company, who's good at the rehabs and, you know, the boots on the ground work, are able to focus on what they do best. And the marketers are able to find the people who want to buy the inventory and sell it. Buying from the marketer is one option. The second option is buying directly from the turnkey provider themselves. In theory, you're getting the best price because you're cutting out the middleman Some of these turnkey providers are very reputable. They have a long list of customers lining up around the block, and they can command the top price. Oftentimes, this is higher than the appraised value. Pair this with marketers bringing the lazy money in form of inexperienced investors, this really turns into a macro seller's market. Some turnkey providers have buyer queues where you have to wait for a property, and then when you finally get up to the top of the line, they're saying, you got, you know, 48 hours to buy it or it moves on to the next guy in line or the next sucker. I personally think that these are kind of scare tactics, you know, use car salesman tactics. And another trick that they can do is require you to pay cash for the property, which basically takes away your right to do your due diligence on the property because you don't have the ability to use any appraisal contingency or an inspection contingency to protect yourself. You know, some will also guarantee rents or warranties, which are seemingly good. But they could also mean that the turnkey provider is just buying a $500 a year insurance policy and covering themselves on top of that. So that's just a way to making you feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. And their quality of work is probably not up to where it should be. I'm going to stop there before I scare too much of you folks. But these are just some of the pitfalls of working directly with a turnkey provider. After all, you know, real estate is the profession. And that's the scary thing about working with these guys. You know, you're, you're signing their contracts. And I we'll always recommend you guys get your lawyer to review your contracts. But when I was signing my contracts, they didn't really resemble the normal MLS contract. Maybe just I wasn't familiar with that particular state's MLS contract. It just seemed like a more homebrew kind of contract that I was signing. So be on the lookout for that too. So what I see a lot is people start off by going on the bigger pockets forms and search with the keyword turnkey. And then you just get bombarded by a bunch of vendors being really helpful. I don't know about you, but I've never gone to the bar and people have been just coming up to me and buying me free beers and being very helpful patrons. It's the kind of feeling you get when you're on networking on bigger pockets sometimes. Make sure you background check whoever you're direct messaging with. How are they paid and the folks that you're listening to? Make sure that they actually have rentals. I bought from a marketer before I did not really see the value of it because I, at the time I already had bought a few properties and I kind of knew what I was doing. I made a lot of mistakes in the process. But I really did not see their value coming up. Case in point is when I was doing one of my inspections and a bunch of things came up on the punch list, my marketer didn't really help me out in terms of negotiation. He kind of fell over like a a limp dog and didn't really help out, like I said. So yeah, I'm not a fan of the whole marketer route, paying that markup for nothing. So far, I've mentioned two ways to buy a turnkey. First, through the turnkey provider straight or with a marketer. They both have their pros and cons. A third way that I have come to buy properties is, I call it the hybrid method, and it's kind of a blend between the two. It utilizes a licensed agent as your eyes and ears that helps you source properties and find your own construction crews to rehab property. Or it could just be your representative in negotiation with the turnkey provider I have mixed opinions about this because in some markets, I found good agents that are pretty much do everything for me. They interview tenants, they verify rent rolls, they really go above and beyond what a typical agent knows about rentals. And in other places, you know, the agent really ignorant of what components make a good rental in terms of good floor plans, sturdy tenant grade materials, no carpet, no garbage disposals, laminate flooring, etc. So it's a little bit of more of a risk reward that agent is getting you distressed properties. But if it works for a good rental is another question. What has worked for me is not going with a marker, as I said, due to the absurd markup, but using a combination of off-market agents that have a fiduciary responsibility. There's been a couple of times where I started a purchase and sale contract. We got through the first week of due diligence, and he just flat out told me that I should run away from that property just because there's a couple of blighted properties across the street. You are working directly with the turnkey provider. I don't think that they would tell you that kind of stuff. For the more experienced buyer, I would say it's probably safe to work with the turnkey provider after you know what you're doing. I am not claim to be smarter than everybody else, but in my first three to five properties... I probably paid about three to $7,000 above what I should have, or, you know, I would have paid the same price, but I just missed out on three to $5,000 of fixes that should have been done if I was more experienced and I knew how to handle the whole diligence and negotiations. So the question that comes up is why the heck doesn't the turnkey provider just hold onto the property for themselves? Why are they selling it to folks like us? As stated earlier, the turnkey provider does what they do well. They have the teams and market knowledge to do this efficiently. And they could hold on to the property, but they have chosen to make profits on the volume business. Since they make their money on managing their multiple crews, essentially they're running a business. If you find a good TKP, hopefully you'll partake in some of their efficiencies. But don't be entitled because you're not really doing Any work and frankly, you don't really deserve to get huge equity gains right off the bat. Another question is which class property value range would be best to put on my buying list? This is kind of ultimately up to you and your investing strategy and criteria. For me to tell you what is the best is kind of irresponsible of me and against what I believe, which is that you should always think for yourself and you should understand the macro and not just the micro concepts at play here. With that disclaimer out of the way, I personally went for properties that were in the B to B plus range that rented for at least a $1,000 a month and had at least a three bedroom, two bath. Here's some random thoughts about... Things to think about when you're making your grandmaster strategy. First, although at first you're trying to make these properties have cash flow and you want to hold on to them forever, you probably want to think about at some point you're going to trade in these properties to get a bigger property. To say that you're, you know, you're making cash flow is a fallacy. You need to always be looking at your numbers and what is the bottom of the spreadsheet telling you and compare the two situations. If you were to stay in the current investment or property, or if you were to trade up, how does that return on your investment? You need to always be optimizing your return, assuming that it warrants the transaction costs, which is a big part of this. Second, if I was using Fannie Mae loans, which are those sweet government subsidized 30-year fixed loans, at the time of this recording, June 2016, one person can have up to 10 loans in their name. So one spouse can have 10 and the other spouse can have 10 just got to put them separately. One typical plan would be to get one or two homes and sail off into the sunset. But your plan might change and you want to plan for the if in life. To acquire a conventional Fannie Freddie non-owner occupied property requires 20 to 25 percent down payment. Also consider lending costs, which typically I would estimate it at $5,000 plus or minus $1,000. Part of these lender loans are fixed based on a percentage of the total loan. For example, you know, they'll charge you like 1% for origination costs. Other parts of the loan are fixed, such as inspection costs, credit reports, appraisal freeze. These fees will be the same whether you purchase a $40,000 property or a $140,000 property. So it makes sense to go after the bigger property to limit your fees and small costs. Third, when buying $50,000 properties that rent for $800, you're like, Hey, that's, you know, an awesome rent to value ratio of 1.6 or higher but I would suggest reading the article or going back to the podcast on the RV ratio. There's a graph in there that you probably wanna digest. The skinny is the rent to value ratio isn't everything and it's really how much money that you get into your pocket after all expenses and after all the headaches. Four, remember that the goal is to maximize the profit, which is the rent minus expenses. Folks get wrapped around all these metrics, but do not forget the goal. Number five, this was totally my strategy when I was starting off. I went for the higher price properties, not the A properties where there's no cash flow, but the ones that rented for about 1100 that I could get for about $100,000. I would say these about B plus B properties. And again, don't take the seller's definition. My strategy was to find a low hassle property that had better tenants and properties that I could easily liquidate because they were close to the median home price. There's a bit of contradiction here because yes they were safer in terms of tenant quality and exit strategy but the cash flow buffer was less so I had the less ability to lower rents in a market downturn. Now that I have a stronger base in terms of teams money and knowledge I have a little bit more risk tolerance these days so I try to go a little bit lower to the C class properties. We have a listener question here and that's I'm selling my home for $600,000 and I want to invest out of state for cash flow for about $200 a month each door. Before you do anything, just don't jump in it thinking that you're just exchanging money for cash flow. I think your $200 assumption is in line here. There is a bit of a difference in buying $60,000 properties or $120,000 properties as I mentioned Either way, I think you would be beating the averages of the stock market. And that's why this real estate thing is so cool. Because even if you overpay for these turnkey properties, you're probably going to beat your buddy in the stock market. This is how it's going to work if you're going to choose to sell and do a 1031 exchange. So first, you're going to sell your home for $600,000. Take a 10% commission haircut. So you're going to be left with 540000 So this is how much you're going to have... To acquire the after-tax penalties. So if you're going to look to get $90,000 properties, you're going to need to pick up six of them. Doing the math, your cash in your 1031 will be 540000 minus the remaining mortgage. And that's the amount of cash you can bring out of pocket to make up shortcomings. I would check out this article on 1031 exchanges that I have in my blog, and we'll cover it in a future podcast, but it's a little bit more of an advanced topic that you do once you have properties that have quite a bit of equity and to transfer the taxes going forward. Another question that I got asked is, other than turnkey properties, what other passive investing options are there, such as REITs and crowdfunding, and are these viable options so passive turnkey investing is a slow way to build long-term wealth. My track record in the macro sense is, you know, I typically down 30 grand for control of a $100,000 property that rents for a tad over $1,000 a month. So from that $30,000 down, I pretty much create 200 to $300 a month in cash flow or $3,000 a year per property. If those are your home plotting the day when you're gonna leave your job and take over the world, 10 homes would get you about $60,000 in passive income a year, tax-free. I'm not a fan of these REITs or crowdfunding deals because typically the operator is getting most of the profits off the top. Ideally, if you have the ability to, you wanna be able to control and be the operator of your investment, if the numbers make sense. REITs and crowdfunding deals are just like stock and mutual funds. You don't own the hard asset you could, but typically don't. And you're at the mercy of the operator to run it like a business and not take business trips to Las Vegas convention as a business expense or do other silly things. Moreover, most of the time, you also miss out on tax benefits such as the depreciation that you can on your own rental properties. This is the kind of the reason why you would want out of the stock and mutual funds in the first place. Plus, who the heck knows how stocks are priced As if that was enough, crowdfunding platforms, at least for now, require you to be an accredited investor. Most of you starting out won't qualify. And I do see a lot of these crowdfunding sites opening up to the common folk, but the returns are just pretty paltry. I mean, it's like 8 to 12%. I mean, for that much risk in one operator, I mean, I'd rather be in stocks and mutual funds. On the website, there's a couple links that I have of other blogs that have actually done the crowdfunding method and done a pretty good job at tracking their earnings throughout a length of time. Again, their returns are pretty bad, but their spreadsheets are pretty cool just to check out. So go to simplepassivecashflow.com and I have the links there. Another question is why go through all this trouble to have a rental? So as I mentioned before, the crowdfunding typical returns are 6 to 12%. Those returns are good for your mom. I'll show you in a future podcast and article on how you are typically making 20 to 40% internal return on your investment on these rentals, but it's pretty lengthy topic and there's a lot of numbers involved. So we'll save it till next time. This is one of the longer podcasts I'm probably going to do here. I'm also working on a list of questions to ask turnkey providers just to start a conversation and to start building relationships that all of you guys should be doing. If you guys want that spreadsheet, please shoot me an email and review the show on iTunes. I'd really appreciate it. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye. The content found here is just my opinion, and things change, and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself, because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.